Hey there. Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. It wouldn't be possible to make 13 without the support of our patrons. We'd like to thank Slimbo Jim, Allison Vassallo, Clara Franklin, Sydney Sandberg, Ren Giddy, Carrie Ann Doring, Lisa Van Lannen, Colorado Tao, Samuel DeWitt, TKD347, Kathleen, Andrew Poteet, Chelsea Peeler, Stephen Lynch, LMZA Listens, Patricia Wilson, and Joe Ware. Thank you so much for your support. Patrons get, well, a lot more 13. Additional stories each month, access to a patron-only Discord server where you can chat with us and other fans of the show, ad-free episodes, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and, depending on your tier, exclusive patron-only merch. Find out more at patreon.com slash 13pod. We'll put a link in the show notes. Before we get into this month's story, we wanted to tell you about Guide to the Unknown. Guide to the Unknown is a podcast about horror movies and the paranormal. Every week, siblings Kristen Anderson and Will Rogers discuss pop culture and the unexplained from the perspective of the celebratory skeptic and a sort of believer. Some favorite episodes include a look at haunted amusement parks, listener stories, and cursed thrift store purchases. Also, they've got breakdowns of tons of horror movies and video games. New episodes every Friday, and you can find them wherever you're listening right now. Look for links in the show notes. This month's story is Swear on Your Life by Chris West. Okay, get comfy. Turn down the lights. Are you ready? On with the show. The last few nurses we've hired have all flaked on me. Jim said with an exhausted sigh. Please tell me you don't plan on flaking. I stood in the foyer of the tiny ranch-style house and listened to him talk. He looked tired. The bags under his eyes had bags under their eyes. When I arrived at the ranch, Jim was dressed in a pair of well-worn Wranglers, a fading red plaid button-up, and a form-fitting cowboy hat. He was still dusty from the day's work. His boots were caked in dried mud. I don't plan on flaking, I said. Swear on my life. Forgive me, but they all say that. I moved from Colorado to work here. I'm not planning on going anywhere in the immediate future. That's right. Agency said they had to hire you from out of state. They didn't have anyone local to do the job. Really? So they told me. For the life of me, I can't figure out what's going on. I mean, my mom is basically a living corpse. He turned to where his mom was sitting. No offense, Mom. It may sound cruel, but what a lot of people don't understand is that dealing with someone in an extreme medical condition, day in and day out, it can numb you. It wears you down. Gallows humor exists because working in the gallows really sucks. Every moment of your day is spent worrying and caring about someone else. Some people can handle it, and some can't. It doesn't make you weak if you can't. It makes you human. Looking at Jim, I could see that he was struggling. His mom, Agnes, was in a catatonic state and needed nearly round-the-clock care. She was nonverbal and had limited use of her limbs. Her body had started to fail in both big and small ways. 
She needed eye drops in her eyes every hour she was awake so they wouldn't dry out. You had to move her from her wheelchair to her bed to avoid any bed sores from forming. She needed help eating. Everything was signaling end-of-life care, but her heart and lungs were healthy. She was as near death as any healthy people are at any given moment. I spoke up again. What did the other nurses say? They just felt uncomfortable in the house. That mom was difficult to manage. I know it's a lot of work to keep her going, but I mean, that's the job, right? It is. He looked away and shook his head. Difficult to work with. I don't get it. She can't protest. She can't fight with you. Hell, she can barely move. Jim sighed and shook his head. He looked over at his mom, sitting in her wheelchair in front of the big bay window that looked out into the cornfields. He started to say something, but his voice caught. He stopped talking, but I knew what he wanted to say. He wished she would just die. It's hard to admit, but it's a natural feeling. If you believe a better life is waiting for them on the other side, you want to see their struggling here end. I understand. My grandfather was in a similar situation. Jim looked over at me, and I could see his eyes rimmed red from tears. He forced a smile. Well, life is just a crotch kick for all of us, ain't it? We both laughed. He finished showing me around the house, and he showed me his mom's medical schedule. His property had two houses, this one for his mom and me, and his house, which was about a hundred yards away. He said if I needed anything, I could come over at any time, and he'd help. I thanked him, and I sent him on his way. The house that I would now call my own was very charming. There was a small den crammed with overstuffed couches and a wall-mounted TV. The kitchen was galley style, and there was a small dining nook attached. The home's three bedrooms and two baths were down a small hallway from the den. The master was Agnes's room. My bedroom and an old office crammed with odds and ends were on the opposite side of the hallway. Those two rooms were connected by a Jack and Jill bathroom. The best feature in the house was the large front-facing window in the den. It looked out across an oak tree-covered yard that eventually gave way to fields upon fields of corn. The sky was so big in this part of the country, you could see storms rolling in from miles away from the comfort of your own house. After I put Agnes down for a nap, I would sit with a warm cup of tea and watch the clouds blow across the sky. Agnes, however, was less charming than the house. It's a weird thing to say about someone who can't speak, but there was something off about her. She had bad vibes from the start, and they spread like a spill on the couch. It spread and soaked in deep. Agnes was about 62, but she looked older. Her hair had been a vibrant red when she was younger, 
but had dulled with age and stress. It was streaked with white, giving her hair the same impression as a circus tent. Once taut and glowing, her skin had yellowed and sagged beyond what you'd expect from her age. But the worst feature was her eyes. They were light blue and cut through you like a knife. She rarely blinked, and that non-stop gaze made it feel like she saw right through you. I hated it. The first few days were fine. I got into a routine with Agnes that seemed to work out for both of us. Or so it seemed, since she couldn't tell me anything. I was still settling into the house and trying to get a lay of the land. I spent my first night decorating my room. To say it was drab would be an understatement. It was all neutral colors and lacked any vitality. I was a Lisa Frank kind of person in my heart, so I needed some color and personality. That went double for this new location I found myself living in. Like the house, the surrounding area was a bit dull. The plains were, well, flat and devoid of any vegetation outside of a few scattered trees and fields of future produce items. I had been born and raised in Colorado, so anything that didn't look like a Coors beer commercial was foreign to me. As far as I was concerned, this place was as foreign as it got. The town was about a 10 minute ride away, and the downtown consisted of a few small blocks of short squat buildings catering to local farmers and ranchers in the area. There were a few bars, a bank, and a few small diners, two old stone churches, and a country western dance hall. This felt like the place the New York Times sent reporters when they wanted to find out what conservative Americans thought about national politics. I came from Denver, so this vibe was outside of my comfort zone. Just beyond the downtown was a slate of chain stores and restaurants. I found myself drifting there more often than not. It was where the grocery stores were, but also the only Starbucks in a 50-mile radius. Yes, it was inside a truck stop and not the best cup of coffee I've ever had, but the people watching more than made up for it. It was an adjustment, but I was adjusting. I often found myself in my room, reading the latest book in my murder mystery series, scrolling through TikTok, or texting with friends back home. I had told people I planned on moving back when this was all over, which is a nice way of saying when Agnes dies. But I wasn't sure. Denver was nice, but life was too short to spend time in one place. I wanted to see the world. The first time I noticed something was off was when I entered my room after a long day and discovered one of the posters I had brought had been ripped in half. Part of it was still stuck to the wall. I didn't know what to think. Agnes wasn't mobile or lucid enough to do anything, and Jim had been out in the fields all day. Maybe an animal got in here and ripped it? But that seemed unlikely. I was stumped. I picked up the piece of the poster that had fallen on my bed and I tossed it in the trash. 
When I went to take down the part still tacked to the wall, I felt a cold chill run up my spine. At the time, I didn't think much of it. The AC did run cold in the house, but what was odd was that the wall itself was cool to the touch. Later that night, I was FaceTiming with a friend of mine about nothing in particular when our calls started getting interference. It had never happened before. The signal was surprisingly good in the house. I stood and tried moving to a different spot in the room, but the same thing kept happening. What the hell? Maybe the place is haunted. Hilarious. I rolled my eyes. Maybe Agnes is scrambling the signal. Agnes can barely keep her eyes open. I don't think she's well-versed in signal manipulation. As I spoke, I saw her face change. Hey, what was that? What was what? I thought... Never mind. Not fair. You can't say, what was that, and then not follow up. She held back for a moment, and then she spoke up. I don't want to scare you or anything, but... I saw something behind you. On the wall. I turned around and looked at the now posterless wall behind me. There wasn't anything there but the soothing neutral colors of the paint. I gave her a confused look. What are you talking about? I didn't even want to say anything. You forced me. What did you see? It looked like a face. It was only there for a second, but I thought I saw it. I rolled my eyes again. This isn't funny. There it is again. I snapped back and again only saw a beige wall. Seriously? I swear on my life. What did it look like? It was so quick, but it was a man's face. What? On the wall behind you. I turned and climbed back on my bed until I was in front of the spot where my friend swore she saw a man's face. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. I reached out and touched the wall. It was cool, verging on cold. There isn't anything here- Oh my god, did you hear that? I didn't hear anything. You're scaring me! It was like, I don't know, a muttering. When you touched the wall, I heard it on my phone. I touched the wall again. There it is! There isn't anything here, I swear. Hold on. Let me hook up my Bluetooth to my speakers. She pulled her phone away and worked on connecting her speakers. Okay, can you hear? Yes. Okay. Touch the wall again. I reached out my hand and touched the wall. I held my breath, but didn't know why. I hadn't seen or heard anything but I shook my head and pressed my palm against the wall. At first, there was nothing, and I almost pulled my hand away. But then I heard it. It was mumbling, soft and hard to decipher. There it is! Holy shit! I didn't know what to think. I pulled my hand off the wall. See? I told you I wasn't lying. She had a look of vindication, but then she saw my perplexed face. Hey, 
Hey, are you okay? I don't know. Maybe you should sleep somewhere else tonight. I don't know anyone here. What about the other room? There's got to be a couch or something. Yeah, I I think I'll do that. You sure you're okay? I mean, no, but I'll live. Okay. If you need me, I'm a phone call away. I'll catch the next plane if I have to. I laughed, and then tension seemed to break. We chatted for a bit more before I was going to start getting ready for bed. I grabbed my pillow and blanket and walked through the bathroom to the office. There were a lot of boxes and general clutter in the room, but the couch was unencumbered. I laid down and dozed off. Several hours later, I was woken up when the bathroom light turned on. For a second, I thought Agnes had managed to get herself up and into the bathroom, but then my sleep haze dissipated, and I knew that couldn't be the case. Had Jim come in? That didn't make sense either. I called out. Hello? The light went out. I sat up in bed and looked for anything I could use as a weapon. Nothing. I kicked the blanket off my legs and placed them firmly on the ground. If I had to run, I was ready. That's when I heard the squeak in the hallway. It was a wheelchair rolling on the ground. I sighed and let out a small laugh. It was Agnes. I wasn't sure how she had done it, but she was in the hallway. I opened the door to the office and flipped on the hallway light. The hallway was empty. I must have been dreaming. I walked towards her room to check on her. It had to be a dream. I slowly turned the handle to Agnes's door and cracked it open. She was sleeping in her bed her wheelchair next to her. She was snoring. It had to be a dream. I walked out into the living room to do a sweep of the house just in case. Everything was in order. No one was in the house. I was about to head back to the office when I saw a shadow move outside the house. I ducked down and slowly walked towards the big bay window. From my vantage point, I could see a person walking away from the house. They were smoking a cigarette. The cherry glowed brightly in the darkness. Jim. It had to be Jim. Maybe he came in to check on his mom and got turned around. But why would he flip on the light in my bathroom? Just then, the clouds that had been covering the moon drifted away and I was able to get a better view of the person in the yard. It was Jim. He took the last puff of his smoke and dropped it on the ground, crushed it under his foot, and headed back for his house. Nothing sinister had happened exactly, but everything felt off kilter. Agnes was asleep. Jim was heading back to his house. I was okay. I was exhausted and knew Agnes would be awake sooner rather than later. 
I climbed back under the covers and crashed. The next morning, I walked out of the room and was surprised to see Jim and Agnes up already. He'd put her in front of the window to watch the sunrise. He would sometimes come by in the morning and check in on her, but he usually wasn't there before I woke up. Jim sat at the kitchen table with his hands cupped around a hot mug of coffee. He had a cigarette tucked behind his ear. When he saw me, he shot a friendly smile. Hey, good morning. Good morning. It's a bit early, huh? Sorry about that. I was up early and I thought I'd give you a little break. I glanced over at Agnes. She just stared out the window, not a care in the world. I looked back over at Jim. Weird question, but did you happen to come over last night? He said that he did. I could feel the relief stream out of my body. It had to have been Jim. It was still weird and a violation, but I knew it wasn't the face my friend saw on the wall. If you come in at night, can you do me a favor and not use my bathroom? It kind of freaked me out last night. His smile dropped. He looked confused. I uh, didn't actually come inside last night. I came by the house last night because I thought I saw somebody outside, but I never came in. I walked the perimeter, but I didn't see anybody. That's when something even more strange happened. Agnes started yelling. It wasn't a scream, but more of a whooping sound, like an alarm. We both looked over and she was rocking back and forth in her chair. The muscles that she'd used to talk had atrophied. She was trying to speak, but no words could break through. This sound was all she could muster. I ran over there and tried to calm her down. This was the most animated I had seen her in the entire time I'd been with her. I didn't think she even could do this. I looked over at Jim, who had joined me at his mom's side. What's going on? It's okay, this happens sometimes. Usually right before a storm. Before a storm? I don't get it either, but she's like a human barometer. He was rubbing his mom's back and trying to calm her down. Agnes shifted her eyes to Jim, and he smiled at her. Hey, hey there. There you go. You're okay. You're okay. He kept rubbing her back, like he was calming down a horse. And it worked. Her rocking slowed and then eventually stopped. There you go. You're okay. She didn't respond. Instead, she raised her arm and pointed her bony finger toward the window. I followed the direction of her finger and sure enough, I could see gathering storm clouds in the distance. Well, I'll be damned. I told you. I don't know what happened, but when she had that stroke... He glanced out at the clouds and whistled. That ain't pretty. How far off is it? A few hours probably, but who knows. That looks huge. Should I worry about floods or anything? Nah, we're far away from the river here. Tornadoes on the other hand. I didn't like the way he trailed off. 
If one shows up, you'll hear the alarms. There's a shelter around back. I put in a ramp so you'll be able to get Mom down there easy. Where does the shelter go? Under the house. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, there's food, water, there's a light down there. You'll be safe. Is the shelter locked up? Probably. Come on, I'll show you how to unlock it. We walked outside, and you could feel the coming storm in the air. The smell of oncoming rain hung heavy all around us. In the distance, you could hear faint rumblings of thunder. Jim took me around to the back of the house and pointed to the classic-looking storm shelter doors. He unlocked the latch and swung them open with a thud. A swirl of dust filled the air. Once you get down there, there's a pull string for the light. It's in the middle of the room. It had dirt floors. It may have been a root cellar years ago. It was a small room, but it would do in a pinch. A question popped into my mind. Is this under my room? He nodded. Most of the cellar's under that quarter of the house. Can you get to it from my room? Oh no, if a twister comes, you gotta go outside and get to the shelter. It's the safest place in case of a storm, though. That wasn't why I'd asked. Should I be worried about a tornado? No, not for now. Just keep the local news on. We looked down into the shelter a moment longer. The dirt floors unsettled me. I felt a chill creeping up the ramp. It clicked suddenly. That's why the wall was so cold to the touch last night. It probably came up between the walls. But it didn't explain the mumbling. Is there a radio down there? Yeah, I think so. It's been a little bit since I went down. That could account for the mumbling. Maybe there was a small stored charge in the radio and it was going off last night. As terrifying as the prospect of being underground in a small, dark hole might be, this also helped set my mind at ease. Everything had a reasonable explanation. We went back inside the house, but Agnes wasn't sitting in front of the window anymore. She had somehow moved while we were gone. At first glance, I couldn't see her. More to the point, I didn't know how she had moved. Jim had mentioned that she could, in a pinch, kick her leg and move the chair, but that it wasn't expected. I called out her name. No response. Jim called out too. That's when I heard the door to the office swing open. I thought I'd closed it when I woke up. We both walked over to the door and opened it wide. Agnes was there. She'd somehow wheeled herself through the boxes strewn across the floor and settled in front of the leather couch. She was staring up at a box-lined shelf on the wall. Mom, how'd you get in here? Not surprisingly, she didn't respond. She just kept staring at the shelf. Her eyes never blinked. It was unsettling. I turned her chair towards me and squatted down to get on her level. Agnes trained those dead eyes on me. I felt my blood run cold. The energy in the room was off. Despite wanting to turn and run, I kept that fake smile plastered on my face. 
If the patient is calm, your workday is calm. Just then, Agnes shot her arms out and wrapped her bony fingers around my collar. I tried to pull back, but her grip was tight. Jim snapped into action and grabbed his mom's arms. I fell backwards and her wheelchair rolled forward. Her strength shocked us both. Agnes fell on top of me. I tried to scramble away, but she pulled my ear to her mouth. In a long, ragged breath, she said something. I can't be sure, but it sounded like I did it. Agnes had lost her strength and was back to her regular self. Jim told me he had never seen her do anything like that. He said she hadn't been that mobile in years. I asked him if he knew what she meant when she said, I did it. He didn't know. Don't tell me that you're going to leave too. His eyes were pleading with me to stay. If I'm being honest, leaving had crossed my mind. But I didn't have anywhere to go. And this felt like the exception, not the rule. She hadn't done much of anything since I had been brought on. And if this was the worst she could do, I could handle it. Plus, I saw how desperate Jim was to get some peace. Having a loved one in his mom's position wears you down. It's worse if you can't find reliable help. I didn't want to leave him in a lurch if I didn't have to. So I told him, No, I'm not going anywhere. We wheeled Agnes into her room. Jim laid her down in the bed, and we let her get some sleep. Afterward, we sat at the kitchen table and drank some coffee. Jim took a sip. I need something a little stronger than coffee. I was stuck on Agnes's confession. When she'd said, I did it. Who knows what's going on in her mind, or what's even left of it. I asked my next question out loud, but mostly to myself. Why was she in the office? Why was she staring at that shelf? Jim grumbled that he didn't know. Was it always an office? Before it became a storage room, her second husband used it for work. I didn't know she'd been married. Jim was in the kitchen, pouring some booze into his coffee cup. Yep, she was married four times. Bad luck, that woman. My daddy was a true love, though. I think so, anyway. He died when I was a kid. Car accident. I'm sorry. That must have been hard for you. He's a good man, from what I can remember, anyway. Isn't that funny? Even the most important people in your life eventually become a distant memory. I don't even know what he sounds like anymore, it's been so long. I always tell people that memories are important, but how you feel about them matters more. When you think about your dad, if it gives you a little boost, that's what matters. Hmm, I like that. That's nice. This job is half nursing and half counseling. What about the other three men? Were you close to any of them? Jim shook his head no. After his dad had died, he had a hard time connecting with any of them. And after the second one left in the middle of the night, he knew it wouldn't have been worth it anyway. I asked him what he meant by left. They just up and left, like a thief in the night. Third one, God rest him, killed himself right here in the house. Mom found his body, shot himself. 
right down in the shelter. I felt the hair on my neck start to stand on end. In the tornado shelter? Yeah. Took a few days before we smelled him. My head was swimming. Was all that strange shit from a ghost? It couldn't be. Right? They didn't exist. I mean, I'd had a reasonable explanation for everything that I'd experienced the night before, didn't I? Now, the fourth guy I thought might last, but after a few months, he took a greyhound out of town. Poor son of a bitch must have been miserable to take a goddamn bus to get away from my mom. I couldn't help but laugh with him. A cross-country bus trip is fun for nobody. It was clear that Agnes had lived quite the life in this little town. I asked what happened after that. Well, Mom got moody, which wasn't totally surprising. She never had it easy. Whole life was just ten miles of bad road. Great mom to me, though. Loving and caring. I never wanted for anything, really. I'm not a superstitious person. But I think the stroke was just a way to ease her mind after so many stressful years. I didn't have the heart to tell him that he was dead wrong about stroke victims not having daily stress. But he seemed comforted by the fact that his mom wasn't overburdened by her rough life and was being taken care of. Why ruin the illusion for him? So I told him we all deal with our hardships in our own way. He took another sip from his mug and then put it down and said he'd better get to work before the rain came in. Before he left, he'd asked if I'd be okay. I told him I would. I stayed at the table for a while and finished my coffee. The conversation had been enlightening. Agnes had four husbands. Two were dead and two had fled. Her saying, I did it, made me wonder if she was confessing to us. That the accidents weren't accidents at all. That she had actually killed those men. I wasn't sure, but I knew I was going to find out. Normally, I'm not a snoop. It's a violation of the trust my clients put in me. But I was concerned that the person who had just attacked me was a murderer. I went back into the office and stared up at the shelf above the couch. Agnes had been staring at the boxes up there when we entered the room. Why? What was in there? I stood on the couch and pulled off one of the boxes. It was a cardboard banker box with the name Irv, I-R-V, scribbled along the top in messy handwriting. I assumed this was Agnes's pre-stroke handwriting. I popped open the box and was surprised to find an urn inside. Like the box, the name Irv was written across the urn. Why is this in a box? I said out loud under my breath. I gently placed the urn on the ground and dug further into the box. There were a few photo albums and it was clear that Irv was Jim's father. In the photos, he seemed like he was a good guy. He seemed to genuinely love Jim and Agnes. I set that box down and pulled down the three other banker boxes. They were all labeled with names. Tom, Roger, and Sean. Like Irv's box, each one was filled with memories. 
they all seemed pleasant. Nothing that would suggest suicide or abandonment. I know we can all curate our own little emotional garden and pluck out all of the unsightly weeds. But if you do too much plucking, you wreck the ecosystem. Everything here seemed fine. I was more confused than I had been before. From behind me, I heard someone flip on the bathroom light. I turned around and watched as the office side bathroom door squeaked open. Just then, the door that led into my room opened as well. I saw a shadow of someone in a wheelchair on the wall. I called out for Agnes, but there was no response. I moved to the door and peered out into the hall. There wasn't anyone there. Then I heard footsteps in the living room behind me. My heart started pumping a little faster. I hadn't heard anyone come in. I called out, Jim, is that you? Nothing. The light in the bathroom clicked off. I steeled myself and headed towards it. If someone was in there, I'd soon find out. As soon as I got to the door, the light started flickering like someone was moving the switch up and down in rapid succession. I called out again. I don't know what's happening, but I don't like games. I entered the bathroom and the flickering stopped. I looked over at the mirror and it was fogged over. I was confused. How could it be steamed over? Then it occurred to me, the only other way to get fog on a mirror is if someone had breathed on it. And just then, some unseen force was writing the word five in the fog. Water droplets rolled down the glass from the newly formed letters. My legs felt like jelly. From inside my original room, I heard the muttering start up again. It was still unintelligible, but it was more aggressive, more agitated than it had been before. A drawer from the dresser was pulled open by some unseen force. That's when I caught a glimpse of a shadowy figure in the mirror. They were reaching out for me. I snapped my head around and didn't see anything behind me. I wanted to run, but I felt paralyzed. I turned back to the mirror, and the figure was gone. But something more unsettling had replaced it. A reflection. I hesitate to call it my own because even though it looked like me, it didn't match my movements. It stayed perfectly still, eyes stock forward staring dead at me. And then, it shot me a toothy grin. My mirror self mouthed something. The word, five. I ran out of the bathroom. I would have kept running, but the office was so cluttered with boxes that I fell into a stack and spilled the contents. I was covered with old bills and paperwork and photos. I tried to scramble to my feet, but I slipped back down to the ground. My foot caught another box and it tipped over. 
A well-worn journal slid out of the box and cartwheeled end over end until it stopped near my face. It had splayed open to a page. The handwriting told me it belonged to Agnes. Despite being ready to snap, a phrase on the page caught my eye. The doctors all say I'll never get pregnant, but I might know another way. Just then, the air was filled with the rising blast of a horn. Fuck, I thought. The storm. I heard the front door burst open. It was Jim. He looked exhausted and frantic. He ran to the bedroom and saw me on the ground. His eyes were wild. Tornado, he yelled. It's coming right for us. The fear of the storm trumped the fear of the ghost. I scooped up the journal and tucked it into my pocket. Standing, I looked at Jim. I need your help getting Agnes into her chair. We have to move, he said. We both bolted towards her bedroom. Agnes was awake now. Her eyes looked more lively than I had ever seen them. She seemed to understand something terrible was happening. Jim quickly picked her up and plopped her down into the chair. I grabbed her medications in case the storm took the house. Jim was already pushing his mom out of the house and down to the shelter. I wasn't far behind them. I grabbed my car keys and wallet and headed for the front door. As I did, I passed by another mirror. I stopped. It caught my eye again, on the edge of my vision. I saw my reflection, and it was mouthing that word again. Five. I picked up the pace. I burst out of the front door and came to a standstill. The fat raindrops were pelting me, but my eyes were locked on the massive funnel of clouds now ripping up the cornfields about 600 yards in front of me. The noise was all-consuming. It was mesmerizing. A stalk of corn slammed next to me, waking me up from my stupor. I dashed for the back of the house. Jim was waiting for me at the ramp down into the shelter. He had already closed one side. He waved me on. I ran past him and he slammed the shelter door shut. Jim told me to move deeper into the room and I didn't argue. I pushed against the wall, away from Agnes, and sat down in the dirt. Jim moved towards his mom and sat down, finally catching his breath. The noise of an oncoming tornado is unlike anything I've ever heard. 200 mile an hour winds filled all the space. Occasionally you'd hear debris slamming into the ground. The house itself groaned and seemed to shimmy ever so slightly at the approaching funnel. I had to try to take my mind off of everything. I pulled out my phone and turned on the light. Without drawing attention to the journal, I pulled it out and started reading. The doctors all say I'll never get pregnant, but I might know another way. I've been researching how, and though there will be many sacrifices, I want a child. 
I need a child. My life won't be complete without one. The priest said it would take five souls for the one I desired. Once I called upon the creature, the contract was secure. They'd provide me a child, but I would need to live up to my end of the bargain. I'll need five. I could do five. I'll be a good mother. I looked up in horror. I turned my glance over to Jim and Agnes. He held his mother tightly. He had tears in his eyes. He was scared for her. He loved her. She had been a good mother. The tornado was about a hundred or so yards away. The screaming wind made it impossible to focus on anything else. I tucked the journal back into my pocket and put my hands over my ears. I started crying. Out of an old habit, I even mumbled a prayer. Over the din of the storm, I heard someone cackling. I looked up, tears streaming down my face. And I saw Agnes laughing at me. Jim looked confused. Agnes raised her bony finger and pointed at me. Her laughs got louder and louder, rivaling the winds. I finally knew what was happening. She still owed the creature a soul. She'd killed those men, even Jim's father. She probably planned on landing a fifth, but the stroke was an unexpected curveball. Now she was all alone with only Jim and nurses to help her. And she wasn't going to hurt Jim. Her next victim would be one of us, a nurse. Most of them had had the good sense to leave when weird shit started happening. But I stayed. And now, I was going to be number five. I felt dirt hit my ankle. I looked down and saw some unseen force writing a message in the dirt in front of me. I turned on my phone flashlight and shined it on the ground. The winds picked up and Jim shouted that the storm was going to come right over us. But I didn't hear it. On the ground, in the dirt, the message read, You won't get out of here alive. I looked up at Agnes and she was staring at me. The overhead light was swinging from the wind, casting ever-moving shadows across her menacing face. Behind her and Jim, I saw the shadowy figure place a withered white hand on her shoulder. Jim didn't see a thing. The shadow took a step back and then blinked out of sight. I don't know where it went, but I knew it wasn't gone for good. Agnes gave me a half smile, the rest of her face frozen from the stroke. I screamed at her. She started laughing again. I felt the ground under my foot start to fall away. I looked down and saw that withered white hand breaking through the soil and feeling for my leg. I pulled back and stood up. Jim noticed me standing. We locked eyes, and his eyes said, what are you doing? I didn't have time to answer him. 
Agnes wanted me dead, and I knew it. The wind was so intense now. I wasn't sure how close the tornado was, but it didn't matter. If I stayed down here, I'd die. I didn't know what would happen if Agnes got her five souls, and I was sure as shit I didn't want to find out. If I was dead anyway, I might as well go down swinging. I was going to take my chances outside. I ran over to the shelter door and flung open one side. I could hear Jim protesting, but just barely. As soon as the door was open, you could feel the suction of the tornado. My hair flew up like something above me was yanking it. Everything was drowned out by the noise. I struggled to open my eyes. I raised my hand to my face to shield it from the wind, but it only provided the smallest of relief. I could glance up and see the top of the swirling whirlwind. I wasn't sure if it was heading toward us or away, but I couldn't stick around to find out. I glanced over and saw my car about 50 feet away. Just then, a stop sign slammed on the ground in front of me. I broke out in a full-on sprint toward my car. I was about 10 feet from it when a hand reached up from the ground and grabbed my leg. Another hand reached up and grabbed my thigh. I struggled to break free, but I wasn't strong enough. I could feel myself being pulled down into the ground. I kicked at the hands with my free foot. I caught the hand around my thigh and let it go just enough for me to roll away. I got to my feet and ran the last few feet to my car. I ripped open my door and jumped inside. My hands were shaking, but I managed to get my keys in the ignition and crank my car to life. The sound of the engine purring was the sweetest thing I have ever heard. I glanced out the window and watched the tornado turn and head away from the house. I also caught a glimpse of Jim from the shelter door. He was waving at me, but I didn't want to hear what he had to say. The tornado was bearing down at me. I dropped the gear shift into drive and floored the pedal. The dust that peeled up from the tires never touched the ground. I drove for hours, not stopping for anything. I listened to the radio and heard that the tornado had done some damage to the town. I imagined the lone Starbucks was out of commission. That was reason enough to flee this place and never look back. Jim tried calling a few times, but I never answered. I didn't know what to say to him. If I told him his mom was evil and going to have someone killed, he'd think I was crazy. Hell, he probably already did, considering I damn near ran into a tornado. When I finally stopped a few hundred miles away, I called my company and told them I had left. I also mentioned that they shouldn't send anyone else there under any circumstances. I don't know if they took me seriously. 
When I stopped for gas, I realized I still had Agnes's journal on me. I filled up my tank, grabbed a bite to eat, and read that thing from cover to cover. There was a lot of disturbing shit in there. Stuff I don't like talking about. Suffice it to say, she absolutely aided in having those four husbands killed. I got chills reading it. I thought about throwing it away, or burning it, but then I thought I should hold on to it, just in case. I moved back to Denver and found a local job. I haven't set out on my world travels just yet, but I'm okay with delaying it for now. I had a lot of adventure at my last stop. I never told anyone back home what happened. I just said I was homesick. I'm due some easy living for a bit. I think I earned a return to normalcy. At my new job, I often find myself staring out the windows and up at the clouds. I don't want to be caught off guard by an approaching storm again. I know one's coming, and I want to be ready for it. I'm not sure if I'm still marked as the fifth soul, or if someone else has filled that position. The thought that Agnes succeeded in getting a fifth keeps me up at night. Against the Hippocratic Oath, I really hope harm comes to Agnes. I hope she's dead, and I hope she suffered on the way out. I pray Jim is safe and secure, but I hope that fucking farm burned to the ground. I hope the next twister spreads the ashes across a hundred miles. And most of all, I hope Agnes is in hell. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Our story this month was Swear on Your Life by Chris West. Narrated by me, Brooke Jeanette. Jim was Ian Epperson. My friend on the FaceTime call was Bridget Howard. Music, editing, and sound design by Kayla Ritchie. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Michael Vasquez, Paul Doyle, Amy Harper, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, Chantel Payne, Nick, and Emily Douglas. Thank you so much for your support. Check out the link in our show notes to learn more about joining us on Patreon. You can check us out on social media. You'll find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under Pod13. And you can join the Facebook group for 13 Podcast. Just look for the logo. And you'll find links in our show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or if you'd like to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You'll find submission guidelines and other info on our website, 13podcast.com. You can find that in the show notes too. Bridget Howard is watching you from your air vents. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.